the last five weeks with the series entitled Essentials, and we want to talk about the essentials of the faith, the essentials for Christianity. We want to make sure, and it is my prayer, that you are being edified, that you are being challenged, and that you're coming to a fuller and more clear understanding of who your God is, what the Word of God teaches, what you are responsible for as a child of God, and that you're growing in the grace uh, the grace of God because that's really what matters. All, all the other stuff, you know, whatever, you know, all the, the things you might have or not have, all of that is all good or whatever the case may be. But the reality is you got to have Jesus and you got to know him. Amen? And that's what we're going to talk about today, Jesus. Is that all right? Hallelujah. That's a good thing, you know, to talk about him when you come to church. Glory to God. Talk about Jesus. He is the head of the church, so it's good to talk about him. Praise the Lord. It's so good that the apostle Paul declares unto us in the book of 1 Corinthians, as he's speaking to the church in Corinth, he says to them, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. I want you to notice what the apostle is saying here. Because what he's saying is, when I came to you, I came to you with a mandate, I came to you with a mission, and that mission was the testimony of God. In other words, it is God's declaration of himself. It is God speaking about himself. That's what Paul was carrying. He was simply being what any preacher should be, what, any, what, what anybody who is speaking on behalf of God should be, and that is simply an echo of God the Father's voice. That's all he was being. He's saying, listen, God has a testimony, and when I came to you, I had a mandate to share that testimony, to make that testimony clear. And if I would have come to you with excellence of speech, if I would have come to you in any other way than the way that I did, I would have gotten in the way of God testifying to you. Hear me now. There, 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 there's a whole lot, and you know, I, I talk to Pastor Robert, I you know, talk to pa Pastor Chad, and you know, we, we talk about the Word of God, and I mean, I talk to others about it, but just them, you know, in specific, that I probably had some recent conversations, and you know, we talk about all of this, you know, and, 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 and Pastor Robert, I think he said it first, I don't know, but you know, talk about these heavy revies, hello, these heavy revelation, glory to God. That this revelation that, 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 that folks bring to our lives that just leave us with our mouth open and just, oh, my goodness, that was just so deep, glory to God. You know, we talk about scuba gear. You know, you were going deep, glory to his name. So, you know, and, and, and we speak about these heavy revelation. And if there's anyone that I believe, I mean, and even Peter, even Peter speaking about the apostle Paul said sometimes he says things that are just hard to understand. But Paul said, now think about this. The apostle Peter says that when Paul came to you, he was, he was speaking in a way sometimes that was difficult to understand. But the apostle Paul is saying here, he said, when I came to you, I didn't come to you with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. He said, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now understand this because this is not a contradiction. Because when we think about speaking about Jesus, for whatever the reason is, we seem to think that that's like some basic, you know, just some low knowledge, and that once you're a Christian, now you got to move into the next level. There is no next level beyond Jesus, church. The Bible says that we are growing up into the head, which is who? Jesus. So as we mature, you know what happens? We really get to get a deeper and fuller understanding and revelation of who Jesus is. Any revelation that doesn't point you back to him, I'm not going to call it revelation. 
Listen, why would I call it revelation? God obviously didn't because the Old Testament was pointing where? Jesus. New Testament is saying what? Jesus. So why is it that someone outside of the New Testament, Old Testament, going to come and say anything other than Jesus? That's not gospel revelation. That's not the revelation that the apostles were concerned about, that the prophets were concerned about. And so anything that we get, it needs to point us back to Jesus. It needs to point us back to the cross. The apostle Paul wasn't contradicting Peter when he was saying this. He was, he was, what was happening was Peter was trying to let these folk know, listen, when you really get to understand Jesus, there's some stuff that is just hard to understand. There are some things about Jesus that are not easy to understand. It's not just, you know, just simple, you know, for you to get. Yeah, he brings it down like, you know, he brings the cookies down to where you can reach them. But at some point he starts to say, okay, come on, son. Come on, daughter. I want to give you some more revelation of me. I want you to know me more intimately. And so I encourage you this morning not to think that you know it all about God because I doubt that any of us do. All of us need a fresh revelation of Jesus. All of us need to be freshly challenged with the revelation of who he is. And this morning, it, it, it is my assignment and what I believe in my heart so deeply is that we're going to talk about two things. Not today, we'll talk about one. Next week, we'll talk about the other. But the first one we're going to deal with is Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about, Jesus. Because Paul said, I purpose, I determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ. First thing is to know Jesus Christ. When I came to you, I didn't want anything I said. I didn't want anything I did. I didn't want anything to get in the way of you seeing Jesus. Everything, my whole purpose. And listen, Christians, the reason why this is important for us is because we should live our lives the same way. You and I shouldn't want people to be so impressed with us because of how much knowledge we have, because of how many years we've been in church, because of how many books we've read. We should want people to be impacted by the Jesus living in us. We, we should be living a life that we determine that when we go out there into this dark world, that we are going to let the light of Jesus Christ shine brightly, that we are going to let that light not only shine but to burn in us and to let it illuminate the lives of everyone we come in contact with, that everything that we do, everything that we do points to Jesus. Everything we do should point to him. As I was studying for this message, I came across a a, 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 um, a commentary, and I, and I, and I, and I heard this, and, and I, had, I had to share it with you because I want you to know that in the beginning of this, uh, of this quote, it's going to sound good, and I want you to let me know what you think as the quote continues on. Now, mind you, this is a published scholar that is making this declaration. Respected. When I say respected, I respect. I look at his stuff. I look at how he outlines stuff. Great, wonderful. When I read this, my heart was breaking, but listen to what it says. It is necessary in the local church for the pastor and teachers to declare the gospel to the lost. Amen? But it is also important that they teach God's wisdom to those who are maturing in the faith. Amen? It is impossible to build a strong church on the preaching of the gospel alone. No amen. There must be the teaching of the plain and uh, the plan and mystery of God. <laughs> Did you hear what he just said? I'm not saying this because I believe this. The first part, yeah. He said it is, it is impossible to build a strong church 
if the only thing we're preaching is the gospel? What else are we supposed to preach? The greatest mystery of God is the gospel. The, there, there, there is no great. You know, when I, when, I, when I wrote it down, I said one of the greatest, and I erased that. There is no one. It is the greatest. The greatest mystery of God is the gospel. The greatest mystery of God is the revelation of his son. The greatest mystery of God. People are tripped up on it. They're trying to explain and understand the Trinity and, you know, the God being triune, three and one. They, they look, it's a mystery, glory to God. The most important thing for us, I said this in the beginning of this, of, of this teaching and preaching series, it is, it is one of the, the, the primary essential, the thing of first importance is the gospel. That is why we are who we are. That is why we have what we have. The gospel is not reserved, hear me church, the gospel is not reserved for the lost, but it is the greatest mystery ever known to man, and it deserves the continual reflection and response from those who have been saved and born again by its power. Hear me. The gospel is, and, and, and you know why I read this quote is because whether we believe this or not, and, 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 and this is real, and I can speak for myself, I can't speak for anybody else, but the fact of the matter is most of us, when we hear we got to preach the gospel, you know what we think about? Lost people. Let's be real about it now because I know we want to get on the, on the scholar here who got messed up over there. I don't know what happened to him. But the fact of the matter is when we really think about it, when we really think about it, we think, okay, you know what? They, even, even this, look, glory to God. Even when we're sitting in church, right? Even when we're sitting in church and, you know, Bishop's going to preach the gospel, right? He's going he's to preach the gospel. Well, you know what? That's good because there's some lost folk in here. No, you're in here. You didn't hear what I just said. You're in here. No, no, I'm not preaching it for the, yeah, the lost need it, but you need it. I need it. We need to hear, listen, we need to hear the gospel every day of our lives in order for us to live under the fullness of its power, church. The problem is we have gotten bored with God. We've gotten bored with the gospel because we don't understand. We don't even believe the theology that we're taught. Because we believe, right, that we're saved instantaneously, right? We believe that we are saved. Well, bam, the moment we come to Jesus, we are saved, right? That's what we believe. Amen. Say amen if you believe that. Then we believe that we are continually being saved, meaning that we are sanctified, right? Amen. So it's a continual process of being saved, sanctification. And then we believe the glorious, you know, finality of our salvation. We believe in that three-point process. Amen. That's what, we, that's what we teach here. If you've been through the mentoring program, you'll know that, right? Amen. If we believe that, then what we understand is that Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And so if I am in the second step at all times, that means that if I want to see salvation in my life, I need the gospel in my life in order to grow in the grace of God. Apart from the gospel, I am not growing. I am not walking out that second part that we are all in right now, church. Hear me. We need to have this just, just engraved in our hearts. If we are going to walk in the fullness of the gospel, we need to understand that. I mean, if we're going to walk in the fullness of the grace of God, we need to be, I mean, just falling in love with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Falling in love with what Jesus did. Because throughout these epistles, and we'll go through these as, as we continue to grow as a church, but what you are going to see, man, is that is all the apostles ever did. That is all they wanted. They didn't want to come to you and impress you and leave you with, oh, my God, the apostle Paul. Oh, my goodness, Apollos, that guy. Oh, my goodness, Peter was here. He, he, they didn't care about any of that stuff. What they wanted was that when they walked out of the doors that you knew Jesus walked in with them. 
That's all they wanted you to know. They didn't care about all that other stuff. They were not worried about that. They were concerned above anything else to make sure that everybody that they came in contact knew Jesus. That's the heart of a true leader. That's the heart of a true Christian, man. If you really know Jesus, man, you want everybody. Just think about it. I know some of us, we've been saved for a while. We've been walking with God for a while. When you first met Jesus, it was hard to keep your mouth shut, wasn't it? It was tough. Everything out of your mouth was Jesus, 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 Jesus. Someone says something, Jesus. They said, Jesus. We got a Jesus, right? That, that, that was the answer for everything, right? Then what happens? Suddenly you start to become sensitive to situations. Oh, should I say Jesus here? Of course you should say Jesus there. Why stop saying Jesus? Maybe, you know, maybe that's being over-spiritual. No, Jesus is not over-spiritual. Hello? He's the truth, right? That's, that, that's what the Bible teaches us. We first got saved, couldn't keep our mouth shut about him. Walking with him for a while. Eh. Look, we, we're, we're going through a class. Check it out. <laughs> we're, going, we're going through a class. Some of y'all haven't gone through this class yet. Some of you will be going through this class. Going through a class talking about evangelism, right? The way of the master is what the, is what the curriculum is, is called. Listen to me. Everybody, and I say everybody, and I'm teaching the class, everybody, including me. Listen to what I'm saying. Everybody, everybody in that class struggles with sharing the gospel. You hear what I just said? Every single person struggles with sharing the gospel. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. This is the easy part of sharing the gospel because I got the mic and the pulpit and you're sitting there. So I can talk about Jesus all day. It doesn't matter how you look at me. I'm excited about that. Amen? But go one-on-one and, and get out there and start talking. It's, it's a totally different ballpark. No microphone, no pulpit. Hello, somebody. You, you, you thought it was intimidating to come up here and pray? Uh-huh. Go, go and start, start witnessing now. What happened? We're not excited about him anymore? Listen to me. What we need to understand is that this is why we are who we are, because of this gospel. The apostle Paul, he communicated it clearly. He said, I purpose in my heart. I did not want to know anything among you. He said, he goes on to them in verse 3, he said, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. He said, look, it wasn't about me. I wasn't all blown up and everything. It wasn't like that. He said, and my speech, look at his speech. He said, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of, of, of human wisdom. Now, pause for a moment. Because if you turn on your television, turn on, turn, turn on your TV and start watching some of these preachers and some of these folk. And I'm not trying to talk bad about anybody in particular, but let me ask you this. What are they giving you? Are they giving you gospel truth or are they giving you 10 steps to a good life? What, 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 what are they giving you? Oh, but Bishop, we need principles. Yeah, you need principles, but the first and foremost thing you need, you need the prince. Oh, yeah, you, 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 need, you need 10, 15, 20, 30, 90 steps. Well, let's start with step one, Jesus. And guess what? First step and last step are going to be the same, Jesus. Because when it all boils down and breaks down, it's all about? That's it. Y'all are getting this glory to God. It is about him. It is about him. Listen, he wants us to understand this. The Apostle Paul says, when I came to you, I wasn't coming to you with persuasive wisdom. In other words, I wasn't trying to persuade you to listen to what I was saying. Because now, now listen, Paul was a smart dude. 
He was, he was a smart guy, well-versed. in. I mean, he knew the Torah like nobody else. This guy was a Pharisee of Pharisees. They believed that he spoke different languages. I mean, this guy was smart. Hello. The book of Acts shows us that he spoke different languages. So here's the thing. Smart dude there. He could have came to them and had them been like, man, we need to just stick around you all the time because you're so smart. He said, I didn't come to you like that. He said, I came to you with a demonstration of the spirit and power. And listen to what I'm saying. He's not just talking about. He is talking about the signs and wonders that occurred. But that is not only what he's talking about. He is talking about a demonstration of the spirit that when he was speaking, something was going on inside of you. When he was communicating, something was gripping your heart and gripping your life. Listen, if you trace revival, there's revival. I remember um, one of them I read about, Duncan Campbell, talks about him, and I can't remember where he was exactly, but this guy, he was called, went to this island area, and as he was preaching the word of God, he started preaching the Bible. I mean, the, the history is this. They had a great revival. The spirit of God was moving mightily and gloriously. Not one single person ever spoke in tongues throughout that revival. That doesn't make sense for us because if we have revival, there has to be tongue speaking. Who said so? You know, we need the power of God. We need the power of the Spirit of God transforming, confirming, delivering, bringing people set free. And you want to know what happens? I'm going to tell you this now. Principles don't deliver, don't deliver people. Jesus does. Hear me now. Jesus delivers people. Oh, yeah, well, you got 10 steps to this, but you know what? You got to keep going through those steps because what? Your problem was never dealt with. Oh, glory to God. Y'all are hearing me. Right? Well, you do this. You got anger problems? Well, count backwards. Do this. Do that. Well, what? wait a second. Can't Jesus deal with your anger? Yes. Principles can't. They can teach you how to work with what's there. Jesus, and we're going to talk about this next week, but Jesus is able what? To deliver us from the problem. That's what he's able to do. So anyway, we're going to talk about Jesus for a moment. Can, can, can you repeat this after me and say, do you believe what the Bible teaches about Jesus? Remember, this is about our beliefs, church. So the question is, do you believe what the Bible teaches? Do you believe what it teaches? We're going to look at some scriptures because I want you to look at some prophecy. I want you to be well-equipped to understand, and you're going to turn with me to the book of Isaiah because Isaiah's got a bunch of prophecies. We're going to go over five of them really quickly and see if you believe what these things are. Then we're going to look at some New Testament titles of Jesus to see if you believe those. And then we'll close and you guys can go have lunch. Amen? Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. The book of Isaiah. The question is, do you believe what the Bible says about Jesus? The book of Isaiah chapter 7. Turn there and let's look at what this prophecy is. I'm going to give you, we're going to turn to the, to the prophecy. I'm going to give you the reference to the fulfillment, okay? So you're going to take some notes if you want to take notes. If not, when I'm done with this series, it won't be this week. It'll be next. It'll be like next Tuesday. I'll, I'll email this out to anybody who wants this outline with all the scripture references that I have. But for this morning, for, for, I'm going to do, do it that way. I'll give you where the prophecies are fulfilled. So Isaiah chapter 7, and let's turn to verse 14. When you got it, say amen. Isaiah chapter 7, I'll get there and I'll say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. It says here in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall, shall, shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Amen? 
Look over to chapter 9. should be right there. Chapter 9, verse 6. It says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so we see here two scriptures. Verse, um, Isaiah 7, 14. Isaiah 9, 16 says that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would be born of a virgin. You believe that? This is what was prophesied years and years earlier. Well, let me give you the scripture references that shows that it was, it was fulfilled. The book of Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. The book of Luke chapter 1, verse 31 to verse 38. And the book of Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. All of these scriptures are fulfilled prophecy. It's important for you to know that because we believe what the Bible teaches about Jesus. If you are a Christian, you should believe that. Amen. So the question is, and I'm asking you to say amen just because I'm trying to, you know, get an agreement here. But I really want you to ask yourself a question. Do you believe that? I want you to understand what you're believing. You're believing something that is absolutely crazy. Listen to me. See, when you have a woman, husband, woman and a man come together, cannot conceive and have children for some reason, Right? And then one day they get pregnant, whatever, you know what they were doing, so you realize, hey, that happened, you know, glory to God, maybe it was a miracle, maybe it was a coincidence, whatever. You can pawn that off however you want, right? Amen? Hmm. This is different. This is not a man and a woman coming together and, you know, it just happened, no. This is a woman who never knew a man becomes pregnant. You believe that? You believe that? If you don't believe it, then close your Bible and just walk out of church right now. I'm just joking. <laughs> Do I believe that? I mean, I'm, 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 I'm going to tell folk. <laughs> My Savior was born of a virgin. Do you believe that? The Bible proves it to be true. History proves it to be true. Amen? Second thing. Turn Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1. second prophecy that was fulfilled. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, it says this, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. Now, Jesse, remember, you, know, you all know who Jesse is. Let me explain it real quick. It's King David's father. Remember, Samuel, he goes to Jesse's house. Remember that story there? They want, you know, they, 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 you know, he, he's, he's going there. You know, he's, he's like, all right, I'm going over here. These people, you know, they, they had a king, Saul. Saul wanted to be, be rebellious against God. So God says, okay, go to the house of Jesse. I found a man there. Remember that story, right? Okay. David has a prophecy over his life. Your throne's going to be everlasting. Gives him this wonderful word. Now, you got to remember this here. There was a time, Israel, not even a nation. In bondage and captivity. Looks like that prophecy is done. Right? It's what happens. God promises from David, this rod is going to come. From David, this rule is going to come. This is the prophecy that we see in Isaiah chapter 11. Do you believe that, that that prophecy was there? Well, let's look at the fulfillment. This is where you will find it in the book of Matthew chapter 1 verse 6 and 16. When you look at the genealogy of Jesus, you get to see where he comes from, where's his bloodline. You get to find those things. You also find that in the, in, in the book of Luke as well. I don't have that, that reference for you. And then also the book of Acts chapter 13 and verse 23. 
speaks of him being the fulfillment of this prophecy. So the first thing is we believe he was born of a virgin. The second thing is the book of Isaiah 11 verse 1 says the Messiah would come from the Davidic bloodline. Scriptures prove this is factual. You believe that. So then you're seeing the prophecies being fulfilled. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 6. You got to say amen. Verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 50 says, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. This is a prophecy now about Jesus. What is it saying? It's saying the Messiah would be beaten. How many of y'all know he was beaten? We're not going to watch the passion again. Hello. We saw the beating for those of us that were here. For those of you that were not here, I encourage you, just watch it. Just, just let your heart be torn up about what happened to Jesus when he was beaten for you. This what this, this the scriptures prophesied, that he would be beaten, that it would be something that he would subject himself to. I'll give you the references there. Matthew chapter 26, verse 67. Matthew chapter 27, verse 26. And verse 30. So it's Matthew chapter 26 and verse 67. Matthew chapter 27, verse 26 and verse 30. So chapter 27, verse 26 and verse 30. And Mark chapter 14, verse 65. Mark chapter 15, verse 19. Luke chapter 22 and verse 63. John chapter 18 and verse 22. All of these scriptures prove what? That what Isaiah prophesied would happen, happened. Jesus was beaten for who? You and I, he was beaten in our place, prophesied. This is what the scriptures teach about Jesus. Next scripture, Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 7. <clears throat> Isaiah 53 and verse 7, it says, he was, a, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth, prophesied again. Not only would he be beaten, not only would, would, would that happen, but also he would be silent in the face of those who were accusing him. The scriptures prophesied in the book of Isaiah that he would be silent. And if you continue forward and you look into the New Testament, the book of Matthew chapter 26, verse 59 to 63 the book of Matthew chapter 27, verse 12 to verse 14. The book of Mark chapter 14, verse 60 through 61. The book of Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. The book of Luke chapter 23, verses 8 through 10. The book of John chapter 19, verses 8 through 12. And 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, all confirm that Jesus, the one who was, the, that, that, that the Messiah who was prophesied about, Jesus comes on the scene, he fulfills the prophecy again. I'm only giving you five prophecies because there's a lot of scriptures that we could go over. The last one here is Isaiah chapter 53. You're already in that chapter and verse 9. And it says this, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Notice what it says. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. In other words, Jesus was innocent. 
This is what it prophesied. Isaiah says that the Messiah would be innocent. And when you look at all of these different scriptures, and I've already given you the references to them in the other places, it's all in the same area there, you're going to notice that Pilate continues to communicate. I don't see anything wrong. I don't see him as being guilty of what you are accusing him of. He is innocent. I want you. This is Pilate communicating. He's doing his best. He washes his hands because what? He's saying this man is innocent. He has done nothing wrong. You guys have a hatred for him and want me to kill him, but I don't see a reason to. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what scripture proves regarding Jesus. These are just five prophecies there. So each of these prophecies was fulfilled by Jesus Christ. So what does that say? Isaiah was saying the Messiah, the Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, he is going to come and he is going to fulfill these prophecies. And this is what happens. If you are a student of the book of Isaiah, you are a student of prophecy, then what you can do is you can look at the word of God and you can say, wait a second, this guy, he did this, he did this, he did this, all of these things he's done exactly as it said. So what does that mean for me? That means that if I look at this, that says that Jesus is what? Messiah. That's what it communicates. So what that really means for us, and we'll look at this, that there's salvation in no one else except him. Hear me. There is salvation in no one else except him. You can't earn salvation. You can't work your way into heaven. All you can do is throw yourself on Christ for mercy. Did you hear me? That is all you can do. You cannot be good enough. He came, fulfilled the prophecy, proved that there was a righteous standard that had to be fulfilled. Jesus fulfills it. Amen. The, the New Testament gives us some titles for Jesus, and you can write these down. I'll give you the scripture references as well. The, one, the, the first one, and they're kind of different. I, I, the, these are actually in alphabetical order rather than scripture order. I like to usually go scripture order, but this time it's in alphabetical order. So the first thing that we see him called, we see him called the last Adam. The last Adam. There was a first Adam, remember? Adam in the Garden of Gethsemane. First Adam begins creation. God begins creation in him. He, he, he goes and lives and lives, we don't know how long, and then he brings sin into the world because he, dis, he disobeys God. Brings sin and death into the world. And now every person after Adam is going to be born with what? A sinful nature. It's important for us to understand this. Everyone that is going to be born after Adam is going to be born with a sinful nature. In other words, everyone is going to need saving grace. Amen. No one is going to be good enough. To get into heaven. No one is just born. We talked about this the other day, the heart being wicked. and We discussed all of this. No one's good except God. Amen. And so we realize this, that Jesus is called the last Adam. So what does that mean for us? I want to give you the meaning. The last Adam means that he is the first of a new race of the redeemed. He is the last Adam. So, so everybody live. Jesus comes onto the scene. He is the last Adam. That means it's the end of that chapter. There is now hope. There is now salvation. He is a, he is a life-giving spirit is what 1 Corinthians says. And so now in him we can have life, but it is in him alone. It's called the last Adam. Do you believe that? The Bible in the book of Revelation chapter 21 calls him Alpha and Omega. What does that mean? The beginning in the end, he's in the beginning of your situation, he's at the end of your situation, all at the same time. That's amazing. Beginning and the end. He's the beginning of everything, he's the end of all things. Let me ask you this question. Let's pause here for a moment. Is that true in your life? Is he really the beginning of everything and the end of everything? 
In other words, whatever you get into, is he the beginning? Is he the reason? And however it turns out, is he the reason? Is it? Because we say he's Alpha and Omega. Yeah, we mean that like in some like metaphorical sense or something. He's Alpha and Omega. Sounds great, but is he Alpha and Omega? Because I'm asking a question. Do you believe these things? So is he really Alpha and Omega in your life? Because having the knowledge is often not. Listen to me. There are going to be plenty of people that have more knowledge than me times 10. More knowledge than you times 5. Hello. And guess what? They're going to go to hell because they had a bunch of knowledge, but it did nothing for them because they knew a bunch of stuff, but it didn't do anything for them. The question is, is he alpha and omega in your life? The book of John chapter 6 and verse 35 calls him, he calls himself the bread of life. So what does that mean? That means that Jesus is the one essential food. Jesus is the one essential food. Go a day without eating, but don't go a day without Jesus. Hear me. Sacrifice a meal, but don't sacrifice your time with the Lord. Sacrifice whatever, but listen, he is the bread of life. He is the one that satisfies the eternal hunger that is inside the hearts of people. And you know what? There are folks that they're going to fill that with other stuff, and they're never even going to know they're hungry because they're filling it because they have enough money to fill it and fill it and fill it. They have enough of the things that they want to fill it and fill it and fill it. They never respond to that. But the fact of the matter is Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Book of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20 says he is the chief cornerstone. The chief cornerstone. So that means that he is the foundational rock. He's the foundation. It means that he is a sure foundation. He is, he, he's the one that stands. But is he your sure foundation? When everything else is shaking around you, guess who's not shaking? Jesus. When everything else is going topsy-turvy, everything, you're in covenant with Jesus, guess what? That's solid. Because he is the chief cornerstone. The Bible calls him in the book of John chapter 10, the good shepherd. In the book of Hebrews chapter 13 verse 20, the great shepherd of the sheep. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4, calls him the chief shepherd. The chief shepherd. So what does that mean? He is saying, God, we got three witnesses here, saying that he is. He, he, Jesus declares it himself. The apostle Peter declares it. And then we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. And so whoever wrote the book of Hebrews makes it clear again. So we have three different witnesses here that are communicating that Jesus is the great shepherd. What does a shepherd do? A shepherd takes care of the sheep. And so what does that mean? First of all, we have three witnesses. Let every word be established by two or three witnesses. So we have three here that are very clear about this one. They bring this one up over and over again. So what that tells me is first and foremost that he is trustworthy as what they're declaring him to be. So that means he is a trustworthy shepherd. He is a shepherd that can be depended upon. And what does a shepherd do? Well, a shepherd protects, and so he is a trustworthy protector. Prote I mean, the shepherd provides. He is a trustworthy provider. The shepherd sustains. He is a trustworthy sustainer. The shepherd guides. He is a trustworthy guide. He is not going to leave you and, ma and make you go the wrong way if you follow and obey the shepherd. And the Bible says that he is good. He is great. He is the good shepherd. He is a great shepherd of all the sheep. He is the chief shepherd. He's over every true shepherd trying to lead us into the still waters to lead us by the green by the green pasture. He is the real shepherd trying to lead us the way of life. That's what he wants to do. And so he declares himself to be. Do you believe it? 
Do you believe that he's the great shepherd? And is he the shepherd? Is he the one that is protecting, leading, guiding, sustaining, providing in your life? Or are you trying to do it on your own? The Bible says in the book of Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18 that he is the firstborn from among the dead. In other words, he leads us in the resurrection life. He led the way. He went to the cross, paid the price on the cross. He's the firstborn among the dead. He's the first one to resurrect. He's the leader of the church. That's what it's talking about. He is the head of the body. He's the one that leads us. So the question again is, is he the leader in your life? Is he leading you to walk in that resurrection life the way that he says that you, that, or the way that he says that he is? The book of Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1, it says that he is the great high priest or the high priest. What does a high priest do? Offer sacrifices. Jesus didn't just bring a sacrifice. He was the sacrifice. So what does that tell us? It says that he is the perfect, eternal sacrifice for our sins. Hallelujah. That's what he communicates about himself. He is those things. He is what he declares himself to be. He also says in the book of John chapter 6 and verse 69, they say that they believe that he is the holy one of God. His disciples saying he's the holy one of God. That's a big deal. He is the holy one of God. What does this communicate to us? It communicates his sinless nature and his sin-free life. You can't be the holy one of God if you have sin in your life. You cannot be called holy if you have sin in your life, but the Bible declares that Jesus is holy, sin-free, tempted in all points, but without, found without sin, never sinned. The Bible calls him in the book of Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, Emmanuel, God with us. That's amazing. That is amazing, church. The Bible says that God, the creator of all, he does, we, we talked about this when we were dealing with the potter the other day. The creator of all does what? He puts on flesh. He comes down to our level to bring us up to his level. God with us. He was rich. He becomes poor for what? So we can become rich. This is what he does. The one who is worshipped in all of eternity, he decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come down to a servant's position, and I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be despised. That is what I'm going to do. This is what Jesus does. God with us. God puts on human flesh so that way we can have eternal life in him. He does for us, church, what we could never, ever do for ourselves. The book of Revelation chapter 19 and verse 16 declares him to be king of kings and lord of lords. So what does this tell us about him? It tells us that he is a sovereign ruler. Do you trust that? Do you trust that he is sovereignly in control? Do you trust that even though a king doesn't know him, that he is still the king over that king? Did you hear me? Do you, do, do, do you believe, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll break it down to our work situations. Do you believe that even though, you know, that, that, that boss may not know him, that he's still the boss of that boss? Do you believe that? I mean, this is real. Hello, somebody. Do we trust those things about our God? This is what Jesus declares himself, and this is what the New Testament declares him to be. The book of John, chapter, chapter 8 and verse 12, says that he is the light of the world. He is the light of the world. He does what? You're in a dark moment? This is what it means. He brings light into your situation. He is the light. He didn't just give you light. He comes in. God with us. Amen. This is what he does. Do you believe that? Or are you looking for light in all other places? Are you looking for light where you should be looking for it, in him, in him alone? So I was talking to the young people a while back, and I was dealing with the subject of light. And we were talking about the light. I said, you know, the enemy, the, the Bible says that he is like an angel of light, right? 
He is like an angel of light. So you know what he's going to do? He's going to bring to you a little bit of illumination. You know what happens to some of us? Because God doesn't come and just blow you out with like this divine just, you know. Because he doesn't do that, we see this little illumination over here and we start running after that. We start running after that. We start making that our God. We start making that the place that we go to. Instead of going to the word of God to become illuminated, instead of going to the spirit of God, instead of coming before the Lord, we allow ourselves to be led by false light. So the question is, where am I running to for the counsel in my dark moments? Am I running to other people who are walking in the dark? Let me put it to you like this. Anybody who doesn't know Jesus, no matter how smart they are, are walking in the dark. What are you saying, Bishop, you can't get counsel from them? I didn't say that. What I am saying is this. You better measure all of the counsel you get from them by the word of God. And if it doesn't line up with the word of God, throw their counsel away and take the word of God. If their counsel contradicts the scriptures, then you know what? Because here's the thing, man. All wisdom, all, all, all of this stuff, whether it's, you know, it started out in God good, hello. We corrupt things and we make things idols and we make things gods and all that type of stuff. But the fact of the matter is that God wants to illuminate our lives and he'll use a donkey. It doesn't matter. But what I am saying, that donkey better not contradict the scriptures or else the wrong donkey. Hello. The Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 8 that he is the Lord of glory. So what does this mean for us? This, this depicts his power, his presence. He is the Lord of glory. He is the Lord strong, strong and mighty. The book of Psalms teaches us that about him. And so it's communicating that. Do you worship him that way? Do you worship him as the Lord of glory? Do you honor him as the Lord of glory? 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 says that Jesus is the mediator between God and man. This is where we find that. And so what does that mean? It means that Jesus brings us in to the presence of God, redeemed and forgiven. Oh, that's awesome. So when we come to God, we don't have to come with our heads hanging down in shame. We can come to God recognizing that in Christ we have been forgiven of all sin. We have been redeemed from the strongholds of sin. This is an awesome thing, church. He is the mediator. He already went before God the Father on your behalf, on my behalf. The book of John, chapter 1 and verse 14, it says that he is the only begotten of the Father. The only begotten, this is, you, you, you got to understand that. He's the only begotten. When it says that, that word begotten, it literally means he's unique or one of a kind. He's one of a kind. There's only one begotten son, only begotten son, and that is Jesus, period. That is Jesus. It is him. Again, this points back to what? There's only salvation in one. Nobody else. Salvation in him alone. He is unique. He is different than anybody else that ever walked this earth. The book of Acts chapter 3 and verse 22 says this, that he is a prophet, that God was going to raise up a prophet like Moses who the people would listen to. And so what does that mean for us? It means that Jesus is a faithful proclaimer of the truth. And when he proclaims his truth, it is even more awesome because he walks in. As he speaks, he walks in. As he speaks, he enters into the picture, and he says, I'm going to empower you so that way you can do what I'm communicating, so you can get through wherever you're going through if you allow me to be that one who speaks the truth into your life. Speaking of Jesus, the book of Luke chapter 2 and verse 11 says this, that he is Savior. We all know this one. It means that he delivers us from sin and death. And 
the grip of the enemy. Amen. The book of Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16 says that he is the seed of Abraham. He is the seed of Abraham. God promises something to Abraham, to his seed. Redemption comes where? Through that seed. One seed, Jesus Christ. Again, unique. The only one who can bring salvation to our lives. The book of Luke chapter 19 and verse 10 says that he is the son of man. This is awesome. Because it shows that our God identifies with our humanity. He's the son of man. We don't have a mediator that is not compassionate, that doesn't understand what we're going through. Because he was tempted in all ways. So we can't ever look to Jesus and be like, man, you don't understand. He does understand. He does. He's the son of man. He's experienced the same things that we experience as human beings. And the last one that we'll look at, the Bible in the book of John chapter 1 and verse 1, it says what? It says that he is the word. He is the word. He is the truth. The truth is not not simply just the Bible. It is a person. He is the word. It also shows us that he is equal with God the Father and God the Son. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This is what our scriptures teach us. Hear me, church. I'm getting ready to close right now. Any form of Jesus who is less than or more than what the scriptures proclaim is a false Jesus. Paul purposed to know Jesus and preach him and him crucified because the church must be founded upon and built up in the person and work of Jesus. The apostle Paul said it, I purpose to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. The first thing, to know Jesus Christ. To be reminded of the cross continually. When we look at the gospel, when we look at the gospel and we look at Jesus, it is, it is impossible for us to really fully look at Jesus without considering that cross. When we are reminded and when we look at that cross, what happens is it causes us to become overwhelmingly aware of God's radical and relentless love for us. See, when I look at the cross, and I know that what we saw when we looked at the passion, we saw the brutality of the cross. We saw how horrible that experience was for Jesus. But if you could just for a moment look past the gruesomeness of that, of that experience and look at what that is speaking to you and what that is speaking to me, it is showing us how relentless God is in his love toward us. It is showing us to what extent and what extremes God will go to so that way lost people can have a relationship with him. It shows us the extremes that God will go to and that way we can enter into a relationship that we are so unworthy of. But he says, listen, I'm going to send my son because you are my prized creation and I'm going to deliver you from your sin. I'm going to bring you out of that bondage. So when you look at that, it begins to overwhelm your life. Because you understand, man, this is, that's why it's a mystery. How could he love me so much? Because when you really sit down and you start to like break it down, and you just think for a moment about those people that have like offended you, you know, and done something stupid, you know, cursed you out or whatever they did, did you wrong, whatever, talk behind your back. You think about those people, right? Those people, and even people that have done big things, right? You know, big stuff. The people that are in here experience bad things in their marriages, experience horrible things from family members. There's people that are in here probably, you know, raped when they were growing up from people they loved and trusted, right? You think about those things and you think, man, 
I, I have trouble even thinking about that person in a good light. But God says, they did that and more to me. And I sent my son for them. Oh. When you think about that cross, that's why Paul said, man, I don't want you to look at anything else but Jesus. I want you to look at him and understand how great he loves you. See, because that's not the only thing, though, because as we look at that cross, we are confronted, and it causes us to confront and deal with our sin. Because while I become overwhelmed and I become enraptured in the fact that, man, how could God love me so much? Then I begin to have an internal, you know, an, an internal reflection moment, and I'm like, man, and I'm not that good. Even after I said the prayer, even after I asked for forgiveness, and he still loves me. And if you're repentant and your heart for real, you know what it will cause you to do? To repent some more. If you're not repentant, you're just a hypocrite. And what you would do is say, yeah, he loves me and I'm good to go. So if you look at the cross and you just think, I'm all right, you need to check yourself. I want to ask you to stand to your feet, please, and bow your heads. As we look on, as we look on this.